Well, good morning. Well, we had some fun with that. <clears throat> if you would take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, I think you got the uh, general idea of what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're in a series, God Help Me. And we're looking at some things where, frankly, uh, a lot of us, most of us, a number of us say, Lord, help me in this area of my life. And, and I think there's one of those areas is to understand anger and the place that it places in, in each one of our lives. Isn't it true that we all get angry? But most of us, we know there's a, a, some different ways in which we get angry. You know, some people explode. Some people do a, a silent simmer. Others let their issues and their emotions just kind of emote, come out everywhere. Some will isolate and move to the shadows and begin to punish others with the silent treatment or a passive-aggressive anger. You know something's wrong, but they'll never come clean. They'll never admit it. They'll never bring it forth. And then sometimes we'll come across people who are simply, uh, they're, they're just people who are mad at everyone, yet mad at no one. Life has just done them wrong and stay out of their way. And oftentimes, so many people have trouble with anger because they're never able to face the issues that really are below the surface, the underlying issues that come about and brings forth their angers. You know, others, a lot of us, listen, a lot of us just have temperatures that run a little bit hotter than others. Have you noticed that? And a lot of it really, it's temperament. It's not a bad thing. Um, there's one temperament that I know about. There's four main temperaments, and there's one temperament that's very cool, very calm, very collected. I hardly ever see that temperament really just kind of get out of sorts. I'm sure they do. But there are different temperaments, and some temperaments run just a little bit warmer than others. And, and, and you see it throughout the Bible, too. Remember, Jesus got a little fired up a couple of times. Remember, he went through the temple, turned a few tables over, scattered a few animals, Whenever he dealt with the religious people, what did he say? Oh, man, this wasn't the nicest thing. But he said things like, well, you snake, you know, you viper. You know, you're nothing more than a whitewashed coffin. Those are angry words. And then over 300 times in the Old Testament, it says very clearly God got angry. And oftentimes, most of the time, those are instances or references to he was angry at his people. And the Bible is clear. A couple of the big guns. Remember James and John? They're the guys that uh, Jesus, he turns to, and they, they, they were called, their nicknames were the sons of thunder. Because they were ready to, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says that they were literally ready to call down judgment and fire from heaven. And Jesus had to say, whoa, guys, cool your jets here. We're just going to shake the dust off our feet and, and keep moving. We, we don't, we, we're not going to, you know, incinerate this city. And then, of course, there's Peter who got really upset one time, under stress, severe stress, as he see his Lord been betrayed and getting ready to be taken away. In the midst of great stress, what does he do? He pulls a sword, hacks off a guy's ear. And Jesus has to pick it up and put it back together and say, well, Peter, just, just settle down here. But it's interesting. As those, as James and John and Peter, as they begin to walk with Jesus through the years, you see this big transformation and change begin to take place. What was it? Well, by the time Peter dies, he's known, and he writes about it, his humility. And he says, you know, just humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. And then you'll begin to experience his grace. And then you see John, who by the end of his life, when he could barely walk anymore, oftentimes uh, he had such a gracious and sweet spirit about him, they'd carry him around. 
And his, his, his mantra was just simply this, little children love God. Uh, little children love God. And that's how he would go around. And you read his, his epistles, and it's all about loving God, loving people. So you see God begins to marinate, and all of us can be changed into those positive things. But, but how do you deal with anger appropriately? See, God's given us the capacity for every motion. And as Christ followers, while, or maybe you're just on your journey trying to figure out where you fit in this whole thing called Christianity, we need to steward. We need to learn to steward these emotions. And I think one of the most difficult is, is our anger. Because it just comes out and it's, it's flared up and it shows in so many different ways. Yet I believe this, that, that there's a, there's a little bit of anger that's really good. It's, it's motivational. Have you ever been motivated by your anger? Where you see an injustice, you see a wrong, and you say, I'm going to take care of that? Sometimes you get mad at yourself and you go, because of that, I'm going to change that. And it causes you to look inward and say, I'm, I'm going to change that because I'm just tired of being that way. Or maybe you look at something out here or you see an injustice and you stick up for somebody. See, sometimes those can be very healthy issues of anger. And the better you understand yourself, the better you'll be able to control your anger. Uh, anger is simply a warning light. It kind of, it's just a warning light that, that there's another real problem that you really haven't identified yet, that there's something deeper going on. And before you can really learn to control and beat anger, you've got to be able to identify what the issues are in your life, the hot buttons that can be pushed to bring it about. So as we come to the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, Paul is focusing, he has spent the first three chapters really giving us an identity, showing us who we are in Jesus Christ. And that because of this relationship that we can enter into with Jesus Christ and puts us into a relationship with our Heavenly Father, he says, this is what he has done for you to bring you into that relationship. And because you've entered into it, now these are some of the things that you get to enter into on a horizontal level. That because... These things have changed in your life in relationship to your Heavenly Father. Now they need to be worked out down here in relationship to other people. And so we're going to begin to read about some of the very practical things that are taking place and should change in the relationships around us. So let's, let's pick it up in verse 25 of chapter 4. It says this, therefore. Whenever you see that word, it's always a, a transitional word that says, well, because of what's uh, what I've just said, what has just been stated, it's true, and because of those things, and now these things should be taking place as well. And he says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we're all members of one body. Verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. If you've been stealing, you must steal no longer, but you must work. Do something useful with your hands that you may have something to share with those in need. Here's kind of a biblical principle in terms of understanding why we work. A lot of times we see it as just, I'm going to get a paycheck, take care of the bills. In, 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 a, in a biblical economy, God says, I want you to work, not only so you can take care of your general needs and everything, but I want you to be able to share with other people who have need. And sometimes we forget about that. Well, verse 29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. It's interesting, isn't it, that we can grieve, we can sadden God's heart in all of these areas. 
And he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why? Well, because that's what you received in Christ. Because of Christ's work for you, his forgiveness, God forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loves us. See, see all the cause and effect taking place here? Because of what Jesus did, you do this. And gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, don't panic. I'm not going to get through my whole talk today. I'm going to have to finish it next week as you watch and follow through the outline. But I want you to see the first point there, the anatomy of anger, the kind of the breaking it down. What is important for us to understand that anger is almost always a secondary emotion which hides another deeper or more sensitive issue in our lives. Listen, if you can begin to understand this and give yourself some margin time when you begin to feel the, the emotions and issues of anger bubble to the surface of your life, you'll be able to deal with it in a much more constructive and God-honoring way. When you're angry, when you, when you, when you feel the, the temperature rising, the blood boiling, it's at that point where you go, I gotta take a break here and just ask myself, why am I feeling this way? Because anger is seldom the first thing to appear but the emotion of it is what you express. Not the reality of it or the issue, but the outworking of it is what usually appears first if you don't identify what the real issue is. It happened to me just uh, last Friday. Uh, I've told you before, one of the things I always try and work on in my life is patience. And, 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 I, and I do kind of silly things. Sometimes I'll drive in the slow lane just to say, slow down and take your time. Uh, a lot of times if I'm at a place where I, there's lines, I'll get in the longest line just to train myself to be patient. <laughs> That's true. I, I, I've, I've preached that and I do it. But why do I do that? Because I, always do, I still do this. I, you know, I always push everything till the last minute. Okay, I got five minutes to get there, so I'll leave in four, you know? And I'll speed and nothing will happen, well, you know? But... I did this on Friday. And so I'm up at Rite Aid, and I'm standing in line. It's a long line, and I've got to be somewhere. And isn't that the way it always happens? And they call for another checker. And so, you know, I'm, okay, I'm not going to do the longest line thing here. I need the shortest one so I can get out because I got pressed here. So I stay in the one that I think is going to be the shortest. <laughs> and uh, there's about two people in front of me. And all of a sudden, I'm going back and forth. You know how you do that, too? Yeah. That I should have gone there. <laughs> but I'm stuck here. And then the person right in front of me, they start talking about their, 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 their kids and their pets and their parents. And, 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 you know, and they've, already, they've already checked out, but they're still talking. You, know, you, you, you just want to go, hey, excuse me, can we get going? Chat, chat, you know, wait for the break or something. I didn't do that. <laughs> Those are my thoughts. And I see that you know, the temperature's rising just a little bit. But I went up there and I was very, very gracious. See, the, 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 the temperature, I wasn't angry, but the frustration that I was beginning to feel, you know, it wasn't because they were chatting because that wouldn't usually bother me at all. I'd sit there and listen and probably enter in. <laughs> <coughs> because I, I just, I would do that. But what did I do? The reason I was experiencing that is because I'd set myself up to be in a hurry. So the issue wasn't about them. The frustration that I feel was the secondary issue or, or was the secondary issue about me pressing my time. 
And so that's what happens so much that we have to understand about anger. A lot of times those things that come to the surface of our lives are not the primary issue. And that's where you step back and you go, why, 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 why? Why is this coming out? And there's some things that really do cause that. How about fears? See, our kids playing in the street. All of a sudden, you step out there and you see your kids playing in the street. Those are going to cause a serious amount of fear, and you're going to come across as being pretty angry. Get out of there! And you're going to run over there, and you're going to save them, pull them out, and then you're going to scream at them and ask them what they're doing. Don't we do that? Have you ever done that? So fear, and then there's good fear. There's fear of something or something that can happen. But it can also show at times a lack of trust in God. And sometimes we get angry because we don't understand those fears and we're not trusting God with our fears. So be aware of your fears. Am I fearful of something here? Fearful of something being taken from me, taken away, something of loss. Also frustration. You know, most of us people, we live in our life and we do everything we know to fix something, to take care of something, or to get out of a problem that we're in. And it's frustrating when we can't fix it, huh? Or we can't get out of it. And so that frustration can quickly move to being uh, mad and, and angry. Or, or like I, the illustration I used a, a couple minutes ago, maybe we're always pressing our time limits and our boundaries, and stuff happens, and it messes everything up, so we get angry. Nothing seems to work. We don't get our way, and we're forced to wait, and we can't control it. We can't control those little areas of our world like we'd like to. But instead of letting frustration turn to anger, we need to ask ourselves this question. And I had to ask it. Is this worth getting upset or frustrated over? No, because it's my fault. And I got to take responsibility for it. And when you begin to think like that and process like that, and I don't, I'm not, it's an example of where I did it right, but I don't do it right all the time, believe me. But you've got to begin to think and to train yourself in those ways. There are and there always will be things in our world, friends, that you are going to be unable to control. That's just a fact of life. But the, but the more we live with trying to control everything, the higher anxiety, frustration that can lead to anger we're going to begin to experience. And we all know this, but it's hard to live with, isn't it? Only God is totally in control. And we have to begin to live and believe and train ourselves at that level. How about hurts? Anybody ever done anything wrong to you? Said something to you to cause some significant pain? I mean, let's face it, if you hit your, if you hit your thumb with a hammer, it's going to hurt and it's going to cause some pain and some anger. But the thing is, you always know you're going to get over it. But when you get hurt emotionally, sometimes we're not so sure. And it's at those points where we get hurt emotionally that we get angry as well. They did a study on people who've been divorced. And they said this, one out of three people, slightly more than one-third of men and women, after 10 years, still feel the intense feelings of anger associated with their former marriage. If you're still feeling that intense anger, that's going to come out in different places, different relationships, different experiences. I said it a couple of weeks ago, and this is one of my mantras. The deeper the pain, the greater the hurt, the longer the healing. But what will diminish and slow that healing down more than anything is if you allow anger 
to move to resentment and turn into bitterness and begin to build a crop in your life. Life happens. You will, I will get hurt. There's no way, I don't know of anybody that ever gets out of this life without experiencing that. But what you do with it will make all the difference in the world for your internal well-being. So often there's, the, the people, when, when this pain comes, there can be a lack of courage involved. When situations go south relationally, whether it, at home or at work or even in church, things happen. It's amazing to me how people do not have the, have the courage to graciously stick around and work through to the best of their ability some kind of, they may not resolve it to come to a resolution and be able to say, you know what, we're not going to agree on this, that's all right, but we're going to leave in a good place. Everybody wants to bolt. Everybody wants to dart. Everybody wants to leave. And they use hurt. I'm not hurt. (laughs) Oh, if you're not hurt, then why can't we talk about this? You know why? Because it takes incredible courage to sit down and be honest. And I find that in Christian circles, a lot of people have a real difficult time doing that. It's just easier to say, I can walk away from this. You know what's amazing? Is sometimes we forget Every one of us that calls on the name of Jesus Christ, and if we have a relationship with him, we're going to be in heaven together. And guess what? You can't run from there. (laughs) So why don't we learn to do what God asks us to do here and to work it out instead of running? Because it takes courage. How about unmet needs and expectations? We all have a variety of needs, don't we? We've got this need to belong, to be connected, to be accepted, to be loved, supported, encouraged. And we also have a need for autonomy. Sometimes we just need room and space, don't we? We need independence. Oftentimes we need to feel appreciated, that we're worthy of something, that we're capable and competent. And when these needs aren't met, we do, we feel hurt. And unfortunately, these needs, they... They can lead to anger if they're not dealt with in a healthy way. And you begin to swallow that for a while, and pretty soon that anger gets swallowed, but it's going to come out where externally you're going to direct it at people, things, places, or circumstances in unhealthy ways. Or you will just continue to swallow it, let it go internal, underground. It will lead to depression, low self-esteem, or you'll become the silent assassin and move in such significant passive-aggressive ways that will become very hurtful not only to you, but to people around you. We have unmet expectations when things don't go the way we want. Isn't it easy to get angry and frustrated? See, when plans change, when disappointments come, Oh, it's so easy for anger to begin to come nipping at our heels. And many of us, we put expectations on life to be a certain way. We put expectations on people to be a certain way. You know what? That literally sets us up for disappointment. I, I believe there's two things that are critical to teach your kids. I mean, beyond the religion and values and family and faith in Jesus Christ. But listen, teach your kids a couple of things growing up. Life isn't fair. It's not. They're going to get kicked around. And, and, and the more that we protect them from that, I believe, the harder it is for them to deal with it later. But life isn't fair. 
Teach them that. Because so many kids grow up, they feel entitled, and then when they're not and things don't work out, they struggle with it. Teach your kids. Teach your kids that hurts will come. And that the higher the expectations, listen, I got high expectations for a lot of areas, but, but I balance those expectations out with a real reality. I just know I'm going to let people down. I tell, you, I tell 101 that all the time in our class 101. Stick around. I'm going to let you down. I'm going to say or do something stupid. So forgive me up front. And I also know people would do the same to me. So I'm going to forgive. And if you live with that, you know what? If you live with that, it kind of makes you flexible. And then you can just kind of go with the punches. And teach your kids that. And, and, and if you haven't learned that, we'll, we'll learn it now. Because it's important. Unmet needs and expectations. How about physical issues? Isn't it true that when we get fatigued or hungry, it can affect the way that we respond and react to situations? Listen, if I'm not in bed by 7 o'clock, it's a... No, I'm just kidding. I, it's about... Uh, I've got an early bed to a lot of people. You know, we try and be in bed by 10. But, if, you know, I, I just... I need my sleep. I'm an early riser, but that means I've got to get to bed. Sometimes if you don't get your sleep, physically it can affect you, make you uh, irritable and angry. If you don't eat right, some people get low blood sugar, or, or maybe they eat a lot and don't exercise, and it can make you irritable. It can cause... Your physical stuff can cause... can affect you. Or have you ever just tried to do something, you get frustrated and mad because you can't do it? Maybe you've been doing it for years, you still can't do it? Look at this cartoon. Typical golfer. I love this. It says here, get this. He's an anger management consultant. <laughs> but, but that's what golf will do to you, you know? It drive you crazy. But sometimes you want to try and do things in your life and you just never get very good at it. That could are just physical things that can lead you to some anger and frustration. And you have to be aware of that. That sometimes you just might not be as good or the best or whatever else. And this is so important that you understand some of these things and break it down, friends, because there's a lot of anguish that can be brought on by our anger. And Paul says that when you sense this negative anger enter into your life, he says, what I want you to do is to begin to prepare yourself to resolve it quickly. Why? Because if you let it fester, it will soon reach a place of destructive behavior. Notice what the Bible says. This is interesting. In the New American Standard, which I believe is probably one of the best translations, and also in the message, which is uh, a paraphrase, but I believe that uh, he gets it right there. He says this, be angry and yet do not sin. Pick that up. Think about that. It's a command with a command. Be angry and yet don't sin. I think this is coming from Paul. He's not a psychologist, but I think he has great insight here into life. And under the inspiration of God's Spirit, Paul was under constant attack and ridicule. He understood that there are times to get angry. He had churches that were telling him he didn't have any authority. His teaching was off. Who was he to come and speak into the life of that body? Who do you think you are, Paul? You're just a small guy. You can't talk very... And they just ripped him to shreds. And I think Paul realized, you know something? There is a time for some righteous indignation. But not to the place where it gets unhealthy and causes destructive activities. He's not talking here about when we don't get our own way or we just kind of get our feelings hurt a little bit. 
And I think he's saying to Christians, Christ followers, those who know Jesus Christ, you know, we kind of get the smile, we get the face. How you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm really mad, but I'm doing good. But we never tell anybody. Somebody's mad at you. How we doing? Good. You know, you're not acting like it. We're good. I, I just, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just phony baloney. And we act like that. We put the facade on the, 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 the Christian mask. And some of it's because we think we can't get mad. Instead of understanding how to deal with a good anger. Be angry. Don't sin. And see, that's part of this courageous courage thing where you learn to be able to love people enough to say, let's sit, let's work this thing out. Don't run, don't bolt, don't go back door. Let's, let's honor God in the way that we do this. But see, as Christians, we begin to think, oh, it's just so unholy to get upset. And so then we don't do anything in a healthy way. Paul says here, it's okay. It's okay to feel all of those emotions of anger. It's just not okay to do anything with it. You see, haven't we all done things in anger that we regret? Raise your hand. Come on. Good. You're much more honest than first service. <laughs> Man, there's times I go, I said something and I just want to unsay it. I've done something and I just want to undo it. I want to push the rewind button and go. <laughs> and so often it's, it's too late. And that's why I want us to work. I want to work on this. Because see, God, uh, Paul says in Galatians 5, he says, I'm going to give you this delightful, delicious fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. See, God doesn't come into our life to begin to control our tongue and our anger and our habits and all those things. He says, I'm going to give you the power and the presence of being able to walk with my Spirit in the power and presence of my Spirit. Why? So you can walk and be self-controlled. It's going to be work. It's going to be a process, but you're going to be able to do it. Well, well just like Peter and John who walked with Jesus um, literally for three years and then walked with him for probably another 30 years. And that begins, that's part of that transformation process. He says, that's what I want to do. Give you self-control back. So I'm not sure when he says here, he says this interesting thing, uh, don't let the sun go down on your anger. I think, well, let me ask you this. How many here have ever gone to bed angry and knowing that scripture? My, I'm proud of you. You're really more honest. <laughs> I had to ask first service three times before I got like 20 people. And I know they're not that much more spiritual than you are. But that, 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 that's, that's a tough scripture, isn't it? Okay, I just disobeyed the Lord 20th time on that one. Because what happens if you get in a brouhaha at 9 o'clock and you go to bed at 10? Come on, honey, let's work this out. Come on, come on, come on, come on. You know, come on, you know. And by the time you start working on it, you go, oh, this is worse. Forget it. You know, time out. Let's go to bed. I'm angry. That's kind of the way it works, isn't it? Or how about if you live in Alaska? Where it stays, you know, in the spring, it stays light. In the summer, it stays light for three months. Oh, I'm moving there. Because then, then I can stay mad and angry like for three months. 
I can just carry that puppy with me. See, I, I, I don't think it's totally literal about the sun going down. The principle is this, is you be willing to start dealing with it quickly. You move on it. You don't just sit there and let it move from a uh, kind of a slow bubble into a full boil. You start working on it as soon as you know there's an issue. That's the principle. Because see, this is what we do. There's a few ways to deal with our anger. Number one, we can suppress it. Where there's this conscious, we know we're stashing it and putting it down. We're going to put a lid on it. We're going to do the Christian thing. I'm going to smile through this, grip my teeth. But you know what? Sooner or later down the road, it comes out. I got two cans here of Coke. Now, think about it. (laughs) Now, Let's just say for a moment, you know, you get these things, you're shaking them up, you know, and, and you're going all around. What, what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen. How come you guys are ducking? Ah, uh, I got you. So, okay. I just wanted to make you squirm, but now let's take this one. Let's see what happens, okay? Let's really, you know what happens. Boom, you pop the cork. Ooh. Voila. See, what happens is, is you suppress it. You consciously put it down. And you say, I'm going to do this real stoic thing. What's going to happen is sooner or later, it's going to spill all over. You're going to get drenched, and other people are going to experience the damage as well. You can't just suppress it, because you can only do that for so long. Other people repress it. The first one was a conscious stashing. The second one is an unconscious stashing. Maybe the home you grew up in, it might have even been an alcoholic home or just a really tight home where you couldn't talk, feel, or say. It would just be seen. So you bottled up all these emotions and all these feelings and you could never get them out. You just always had to put them down. You were upset, but you could never express it. Or maybe you're in a marriage like that now where you know if you begin to talk about certain things, it's not going to be pretty. So what have you done? You've just pushed those things down. And see, we all kind of become like pressure cookers. And if you don't have that release valve, sooner or later, it's going to boil over. And some people don't do it consciously. They just, that's what they've learned, that life is how you work. You stay out of trouble that way. But sooner or later, it'll come out. And then there's a third one, it's expression. The problem with expression is, and people say, well, at least I get it out. Well, good for you. Because when you express it, not only you, you get it out and you feel better, but what about the body bags and the carnage that you leave in its wake? And the interesting thing about it is, is, is the more anger that a person gets comfortable with, the more they do it. It becomes like a vacuum, like an appetite. Because now they say, it doesn't matter because everybody around me knows that I get mad, so they're used to it. That's more subconscious, but they realize that. And then, the easier it is, you don't ever have to control it, so any little thing sets you off. And it might be quick, but there's damage done in the process. And there's a fourth one, but I'm going to talk about it at the end. See, ask people what they've learned or gained by dealing with anger God's way, and they've grown in it. You'll hear things like this, wow, it really improved the quality of my marriage. Or, you know what, my wife feels safer. She feels more secure with me now. Or man, you wouldn't believe how it strengthened and opened up my relationships with my kids. 
because I don't react to them like I used to. Or it helps to protect me emotionally, physically, and spiritually so I have greater confidence before people and before God. See, friends, when we learn how to understand our anger and deal with it, the benefits are incredibly uh, filled with blessing. But we also know that when we don't, they can be very difficult. So a couple of things happen. Some of, the, some of the anguish that really comes about is when, you, when we don't deal with our anger the right way, anger invites the enemy in. Anger is going to invite the enemy of our soul in. Notice what it says there. Don't let the sun go down. Don't make sure you deal with it because if you don't, this is what's going to happen. The devil is going to be able to come in and have a foothold. This is a serious warning, friends. See, you see someone that's hurt and angry and they decide this. I'm just going to hold on to this. At the point that they do that, they'll probably move toward bitterness and they'll want to begin kind of a slash and burn thing where they start dealing with people and hurting people around them. Paul says that when we choose to hold on to these things and not face it or work through it and resolve it, he says you invite the enemy to come in and set up base camp. You give him a place of operation in your life. I'm not talking about demonic possession or anything like that, but there's a sense of the influence of the enemy that he comes and he's able to begin to work in this negative area of your life. And who in the world wants that? That's why this principle is so important, beloved. I'm not picking on this subject, but it's, it's just a, it's a powerful illustration of how this, this happens. If you've been divorced, there will come a time, and this is healthy, this is good, sooner than later for some, later than sooner for others, but you get tired of being alone, and you want to remarry. And all of a sudden, you think you have found Mr. Right or Miss Right. And they're everything that your other marriage didn't have. And even as far as, well, they, they, they love Jesus, they're a Christ follower, and my other spouse wasn't. And all of a sudden, there begins to be this convergence of everything. And the joy that you have with this new person, and the hope that you have in the future with this new person, begins to cover over and mask and even repress more some of that hostility and anger that you have from your previous marriage. And then you move toward marriage and all of a sudden, it might be a week, it might be a month, it might be a year, but all of a sudden you begin to see some of the same things in this new spouse that were part of your previous experience. And what do you do? You will very quickly take the undealt with anger and resentment that you had previously that you really never dealt with before this relationship and you will quickly bring it into this marriage and put it on this relationship. That's why it is so critical when you've been hurt deeply, experienced pain greatly, that you say, Jesus, I need to come before you. I need to be honest about this. I need to deal with it. Because if you don't, you will remarry and you will get in the same cycle and begin to repeat it and repeat it. That's why people so often get remarried and then they're, second marriage ends up in a divorce. And what do they say? Well, boy, I made the same mistake twice. Sometimes that's true, but sometimes it's because you've never dealt with the issues that were in the first place. And you can take that almost into any friendship, relationship, job. Remember the old saying, wherever you go, there you are. 
And if you haven't taken care of those things internally, you're going to take them with you. See, the Bible says this. We don't war against flesh and blood. I am not one of these devil chasers, and I'm not one that blames the devil for anything. Listen, I cause more of my problems than he probably causes for me, generally. But I also know that there's a work of the enemy that is always going on in and around us. And sometimes I allow the enemy inroads to my life and to my experience that I don't have to. And it exasperates and exaggerates the issues that I'm facing because I've given him a landing place in my life. There is nothing more, friends, that the enemy wants to do than to see your marriage break up, your relationship with your kids break down, uh, relationships with your coworkers implode, explode. You know why? Because that will begin to diminish your testimony with everybody around you. And that's why you don't want to give them a foothold with this thing called anger, resentment, and bitterness. Next time you're arguing with your spouse or your kids, just do this. Just kind of think about this. Listen, because you'll probably hear a little bit of a cackle in the background. That will be the enemy saying, keep going, go on, bring it on. Get that anger out there. Because that's how he works. Don't give him a foothold. The last one is this. The second to last one is this. Unbridled anger brings on the crazies. Is everybody, has anybody here done anything crazy when you got angry? Yeah, listen to what the scripture says. A fool gives full vent to his anger. You just let it go, let it rip. But a wise man keeps himself under control. An angry man stirs up dissension and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. You know, you lose control. Some people let everybody know they're mad and they look silly and then they, you know, they, they, and then pride keeps them from really coming back and taking care of it. I listened to this guy in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This was from a, a newspaper article that uh, I actually put this in my journal because it was right around the time I was journaling on some anger things. It's a great story. Uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A 56-year-old Milwaukee man is accused of shooting his lawnmower because it wouldn't start. <laughs> I like this. Is, you can't make this stuff up. Keith Waldenowski uh, was, was, has been charged with felony possession of a short-barreled shotgun or rifle and misdemeanor disorderly conduct while armed. According to the criminal complaint, Waldenowski says he was angry because his lawn boy wouldn't start Wednesday morning. He told the police, I can, I can do that. It's my lawnmower. It's my yard. I can shoot it if I want. Well, a woman who lives at Waldenowski's house reported the incident. Walnowski can now face up to an $11,000 fine in six years and three months in prison if convicted. A call to Waldenowski's home went unanswered. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I'm mad. I'm not answering that phone, you know. But think about that. Don't we do that kind of crazy stuff? And then we've got to pay a price on the back end because it gets out of control. Some of the prices is a lot more than $11,000. It costs us a marriage cost us a relationship with our kids. Get control of it. Don't let the crazies come in. And the last one is this. Ongoing anger is contagious. It is contagious, friends. Proverbs says this. Don't hang out with angry people. Don't keep company with hotheads. Bad temper is contagious. Don't get infected. As you study about anger, you'll often see it connected so often in the Scripture with with, with bitterness. 
Because anger becomes the fuel that gives you the power to hang on to, mull over, chew on the wrongs and the unfair things that happen in your life. Have you ever done that where you just sit there and go, I can't believe it. I am so mad that they did it. You know what I'm saying? See, anger fuels that. And the sooner you can keep the sun up and deal with it, the better off you'll be. This is kind of a generalization, but a lot of times you'll see, it might be at work, it might be in church. People oftentimes, there's a saying that says, birds of a feather flock together. A lot of times people, and what that, you know what that really means is, is people that are similar. And so often you see people, you know what they gravitate toward? They gravitate toward, they gravitate toward a, a, a negative flocking. It's not always the positive things, it's the negative things. Well, we don't like this about work, or we don't like this about our country. And those people get together and they just begin to feed one another and feed off the negative energy and, and negative stuff. It's contagious. It's the same thing here, friends. Negativity, anger, it's, it's contagious. And it becomes the pathway and the road to bitterness. I love this story because it talks about the anger on an effect on a friend. Many of us are familiar with Billy Martin. He used to be the manager for the New York Yankees, Hall of Fame baseball player, and he's also a manager for the Oakland A's. He wrote an autobiography. Billy Martin was known for his fiery temper and angry disposition. Dude was always getting mad. Well, Mickey Mantle, who was his best friend, also most of you are aware of as a New York Yankee, uh, Mickey invited him to go farming, uh, excuse me, uh, hunting with him on a ranch in Texas. Mickey has his friend. And he says, Billy, listen, we'll go, nobody will bother us. We'll have this whole uh, farmland and ranch to ourselves to go hunting. I want you to go. So Billy says, I'm there. Let's do it. So they drive down to this guy's ranch. And, and uh, so Mickey you know, likes to play practical jokes. Mickey Mantle played jokes on people. So he tells Billy, he says, listen, Billy, I'm going to go in and see my friend, get this all squared around. So he gets out of the truck and says, just wait here. So he goes in to see his friend. His friend welcomes him, and they share, you know, just catch up for a few minutes, and Mickey says, hey, I'm here to do the hunting. No problem. He goes, oh, of course. Go out, have a great time, shoot him up. And, and he says, but, but one thing, Mick, I, I just got a request of you. I've got this old mule that's out in the barn, and I just, I, I need you to, to shoot him. He's, he's old, and he's blind, and I just don't have the heart to do it. Would you just do me that favor? And so he says, yeah, sure, I'll take care of that for you, friend. So, Mickey's thinking, I think I'll do a little joke here on Billy. So he walks out of the house and he storms out and he says, I'm going to look mad and let Billy think I'm mad. So he gets mad and he goes over, opens the truck door, jumps in there and slams the door. And Martin goes, what's wrong, Mick? He goes, this cotton picker, I can't believe it. We drive all the way down here and he has the nerve to tell me we can't go hunting on his property. And Martin says, you're kidding me. He goes, no. Matter of fact, it makes me so mad, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go over to his barn, and I'm going to shoot his mule. I'll show him. So he slams the thing and starts it up, slams it in drive, goes speeding off, and he's, you know, he's just going off on him. And, 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 and Martin goes, Mickey, come on. This is a friend. You don't want to do that. He goes, oh, no. Yeah, he's no friend if he's not going to let me do that. He's just going off. And finally, he gets up to this barn, screeches up there, throws open his door, grabs his gun, runs into the barn, and all of a sudden, he takes his shotgun and puts the mule down. And then as he turns around, he's walking out, he hears two more shots. 
He walks out and he sees Martin over there with his gun hanging, uh, holding his gun. He goes, what did you do? He goes, I showed that. I shot two of his cows. <laughs> oh, Isn't that the way that it works? I love that. Uh, because that's, that, that's how life so often happens, friends. Anger's contagious. And people can pick up on it. I want to give you one takeaway today as we go. Not all anger is wrong. But we have to learn to do it, express it, experience it in a God-honoring way so it doesn't cause problems in us that will eventually cause problems around us. Remember I said there's four ways to deal with anger. There's suppression, repression, and expression. One of the fourth ways to deal with it is confession. You study the life of David. This guy was pretty angry at times. He was a warrior. He was a king. He was attacked. You read the Psalms and you'll see him doing things like this. God, protect me. God, you're big. Why aren't you protecting me? Would you just break their stinking arms? Would you bust out their teeth? And as he goes through this, he gets to confess his feelings and he expresses it and confesses it to God. And by the end of the chapters, you'll often see this. He'll go from the, the, the experience that he's experiencing and he'll begin to see that he begins to talk about the character of God. And he begin to say, oh God, you're so big. God, you're so good. You're so wonderful. And then he'll kind of back off. And after he's expressed it and confessed it to God, by the end of the Psalms, he's a new man because he's got it out in a healthy way. And I don't know about you, but that's what I'm learning. I've got to deal with it in a healthy way. And today, it's possible in a room this size, this many people, that you are angry. You've been hurt. And maybe it's right on the surface or maybe you've just repressed it or suppressed it for a number of years. But I want to remind you today, bring it before God, the one who loved you and forgave you. And now he says, I want to help you. I don't want there to be collateral damage and carnage in your life. I don't want you to have ulcers and sickness. I want you to be free. And I want you to learn how to deal with it. Would you just bow your heads there with me? and. 